0: Yes, that was a dramatic pause there. (laughs) Just so you all know. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you, ladies. I think, well, I'm just going to say it. I need to talk to Kim and organize these songs better so I don't cry when I start standing up here. And I'm like, dang, and, you know, all my thunder's gone. And, like, forget about it. You heard those songs, praise the Lord. I'll see you all next week. (laughs) In a roundabout way, but... Uh, yes, we're, we've been in the series now for a while and, and we're hitting kind of a, a bulwark, a, a bulkhead, if you will. Uh, we're in First John chapter two and verse twelve to seventeen. and just very simply, uh, as you see from the sermon notes, it's it's encouragement and then be be prepared. be prepared. we're going be we're gonna be challenged and that's absolutely the case. It's on a day-by-day basis, sometimes hour-by-hour basis, sometimes minute-by-minute, and sometimes second-by-second. Our lives change, and we have to adapt, and it's interesting because this week's been full of changes, you know, just for, for me as well as obviously in the building to beautify it, and yeah, we just roll with the punches. We continue to walk forward. You know, We can gripe and moan and complain, but it really doesn't do anything or doesn't solve anything. We just need to continue to move forward, continue walking with the God of light, of truth, and of love. And so today, very simply, I want us all to know, and, and really, I'd love to see this. I want us all to walk confidently, yet carefully from the things in the world. And so confidently, because you are walking with the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's done for you. So why do all these earthly things bother us? so? That's just our sinful human nature. And so how do we deal with that? How do we cope with that? How do we move forward? And so... Let us continue to focus on walking confidently and carefully in this world that we are in. Because we are in the world, but not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. So, dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lives that you've changed for your glory and for our good. And Lord, as we're constantly tempted and deal with temptation on a regular daily basis, Um, Lord, we need to be encouraged and strengthened in you. And so this is the time, lead us by the spirit, convict us of whatever might be condemning us from the world or what might be separating us from our relationship to you in its entirety. But Lord... Again, let it be filled with righteousness and peace and joy as is your kingdom, and just let us work these things out by your grace through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Lord, we love you and thank you for all the good works that you are doing within us, and we're just here, (laughs) and we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 John chapter 2. I do also, for later on, want you to find Galatians chapter 5. As you know, we haven't done our scripture readings in the same capacity as we used to to have different people come up and read, but Galatians 5 would be in there. I would say Isaiah 40 would be another one that we would read, so on and so forth. But just those two passages today, Galatians chapter 5 and then 1 John chapter 2 here, and we've gone through quite a bit. And this, like I said, is kind of like a summary section. It doesn't flow like the rest of the chapter has flowed in chapter one or the beginning of chapter two. Um, it, it's different. You can see that you know the, the, the style is different, almost as if it's some type of poetry. But it's a beautiful summary, if, if you look at it, of what has happened and is happening, you know, throughout this letter as well as throughout our walks with the Lord uh, and the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. So the scripture reads I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So point one. This is verse 12 to 14. It's that poetic little section, if you will. And I'm going to break this down for you to the best of my God-given ability. And so, I write. I just want you to see some of these parallels. Certainly, there's the I write to, and then I am writing to you. Notice that there's a difference there, first and foremost, and then I'll explain that. Notice also that there's little children, fathers, and young men throughout this and so what that means is kind of up in the air, but we'll narrow that down as well. And then, of course, the verse-by-verse explanations of what happens after that. But I want you to, to know this first part, the I write, I am writing to you as we break it down. It is both a present tense and a past tense, as well as a perfect tense. So go figure what all that means. But summary of what has been written and what John is writing about is what this is. You you need to know that. So John, when he's saying, I am writing to you, this is in the present. So this is why he's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to these groups, if you will, uh, the fathers, the young children, as well as the young men. And then I write to you. This is that past tense and that I write to you is actually what has already transpired within this letter. And so you will see some similarities within this letter, but this is what John is writing about. There is certainly some speculation, and as we've talked about this letter before, this was written in roughly the early 90s AD, John's Gospel, probably came out somewhere between 85 and 90 AD, and so they had John's gospel. Then these epistles come out, and then there needs to be further explanation of, of course, what it is to walk with the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. And so the easiest way to to look at this too, and I really want you to see this in this letter because it's it's quite frankly beautiful, and, and I have missed it throughout a lot of this too, but in, in chapter one, verse 5, we have what you might call a thesis statement. And that thesis statement very simply is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then we talked you know, extensively about what you know, those are. But in its, in its purest form, especially what, what John is talking about in all of this, God is light, which means God is righteousness, and in him is no darkness, no sin whatsoever and so what does that look like and then what what you know has been going on within that church or what we've been trying to figure out is there's clearly outside opponents as well as possible inside opponents that are leading the people astray they're saying oh you know i have a relationship with the father but i don't know the son and and john's like that's impossible like you cannot have the father or the son without the other They're interchangeable. They go hand in hand together. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's no way to have the Heavenly Father without the Son. And so that's a big deal because in the world, especially what we're facing today, many people are like, yeah, I have a relationship with God. I'm super spiritual, you know, all these things. But without the Son, there's no way to get to the Father because God is light, God is righteousness, God is holy, he's perfect and good, and in him is no darkness at all. So how does that work? How does that, you know, how how do we get back to God? And so John, you know, highlights this. And so in verse 7 of chapter 1, just kind of paraphrasing for you, we have a relationship, fellowship, with God the Father because of the Son because the blood of Jesus cleanses us as it pays the price for sin to reconcile our relationship to God. And then it continues in verse 9, that if we agree with God, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because of his son's work to pay for sins. So why does God ultimately give that forgiveness? And then it continues on in chapter two, verse one, because Jesus is our great advocate. He is that Parakletos. He's that lawyer. He goes to bat on our behalf. He intervenes. He mediates between God the Father, who is righteous, and us being sinners. And then it goes on in verse two of chapter two, because Jesus is that propitiation He has curbed God's wrath against us and changed his favor towards us because of what he has done, because he is that advocate for us and because he is the great high priest. And then this letter continues to go on because of these things that Jesus has done, because we can be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. It continues on in response to these truths, what we did last week, you will grow in love for God. And love for God is keeping his commandments as well as following Jesus. And that's verse four and five and and verse six of chapter two. And then lastly, loving his church, verse 10. That's an outpouring as well of what all of this, because of these truths in Christ, these are the changes and the expectations that we see. And so I am writing to you, I have written, in a sense. I write, I am writing. Past tense, present tense. We see all of this coming together. And now, this is that great bit of encouragement as John kind of changes the corner. It's a summary statement of what we've already learned before going into what the next section is going to bring us to, if you will. Now, we understand that little part of it. So let's look at the little children, the fathers, and the young men. And so think reasonably with me in this. Some of us may be like, okay, chronologically, right? You've got little children, you know, they're little and whatnot. You've got fathers who naturally are older mature, and then you've got young men. But the order of all of this doesn't fit chronologically. I don't know how you go from little children to fathers to young men. That's not how we're grown. That's not how we're raised, if you will. So it doesn't seem to fit in that way. Next, we'll talk about it spiritually, in the sense. Like, we can see that certainly little children, you know, and and especially in this instance, John always refers to the church, the the children of Christ, if you will, as little children. He's done this in the beginning of chapter 2. He's done it in chapter 1 as well. And so it seems to make sense that spiritually, little children, children of God, this fits together. Then you have the fathers who could seem like they're mature in Christ, and then you've got the young men who could be relatively new believers. But the thing with that, too, is the same as the problem with the chronologically, is that it doesn't seem to fit. Why would you go from little children, why would you go to mature, and why would you go to new believer? Why would you continue to jump around? Again, I'm not John, I'm just trying to understand John as well as we all are. But here's what I really think it is, and especially, and Kim, I owe you an apology because I thought originally it was spiritually, but it's not spiritually, it's like transformatively. It's very transformatively. Here's the thing that John's been teaching us, and that's why I'm telling you in all that section, and you start with that thesis statement, and then you have the, well, how do you reconcile sin and then what Jesus has done and then the outpouring. So we're all children of God. First and foremost, when we're transformed, we are adopted into his kingdom, right? We all become children of God, sons and daughters. Next, we grow in wisdom, of God. We know of God. We learn of God. We begin to even try to understand His ways. Because remember, John, especially in his gospel, talks about being born again. And then first you're adopted as a child. Then, you know, that's the whole born again part. Then you have to learn You have to grow in wisdom, and that's what fathers looks like in this sense. When we look at fathers, we think of older men. We think of wiser people who have experienced life, but this is growing in wisdom, if you will. And then lastly, you have that young men part, and here's the thing. You grow in wisdom, but then you grow in confidence and action and that's exactly where that last section ended us was actionable you will keep god's commandments you will be a disciple and a follower of the lord jesus christ and then you will love your brothers and sisters you know as yourself in that you know following the two great commandments as it was so look at it from a transformative approach if you will the little children you're first adopted then you have to grow in wisdom with god and then you become you know, able to be used by God and actionable to go out into the world and to challenge, you know, uh, or not necessarily challenge, but to uh, deal with the stresses of the world. Because we are assaulted all times, every day, by the ways of the world. And I'll show you that later in this section, but understand that. So now we have the the present tense we have the past tense of the i write i am writing to you we have little children fathers and young men as a transformative approach that god does within our lives which is the the whole spiritual rebirth and where we're going and then now we're we're going to understand what this means in its entirety and i feel like john's already done a lot of this so it makes my life a little easier in that sense because Starting off with verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, so those who are in Christ, and and I want you to know all of these are for us as the church. There's, There's not one that's just, oh, the ones that are mature, the ones of wisdom. No, this is like the package deal that all goes together. It's the salvation, the growth in wisdom, and then the growth in action. That's what we see. So this verse by first, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And how much has John already talked about that, especially in that first section? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We have a relationship, fellowship with him, again, because of what Jesus has done, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us as it pays the price for sin that reconciles our relationship. And that God will forgive that, again, because of what he's done, and he is faithful and just because of what his son has done, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we ultimately have done. So the first step, we know that our sins are forgiven. This is kind of like the first step in a a program, if you will. you got to acknowledge you have a problem, right, (laughs) first and foremost, and, and that's the problem that everyone has to acknowledge is the sin problem. And that's exactly what John is like harping and anchoring towards throughout this entire thing or entire first you know chapter and a half is like here's the thing you cannot know God you know without Jesus first and foremost but you also have to acknowledge your brokenness your sin confess you need to agree with God the word was homologia which means same speak same speak like we're on the same page with God that our sins are a problem so We see that. The sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You go back to that first section in chapter 1. Next, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So this is the present tense. And so I I want you to know too that in this present tense now you know the eternal father from the beginning because you know the son. A lot of people don't bridge that gap and, and Especially in some of Christianity today, like the again for John's theology, they're interchangeable, but for a lot of religions of the day, it's just going straight to God. You do all these works, you appease God, kind of like how you know some would say that Jesus appeased him when the propitiation, the sacrifice of atonement. So, you're trying to do what Jesus did yourself. In in religion, and then that just doesn't happen. But fathers, those as you grow in wisdom, now you know the eternal Father. You're able to understand His Word, you're able to understand His character, you're able to understand His nature, and again, you continue to grow in that knowledge of the wisdom and the grace of God. So, children, sins forgiven in Christ, fathers now know the eternal Father, and then young men. Because Jesus has overcome sin and death. Now you have to. Not because you did. Again, that's a, a religious thing. Like You're going to do it yourself or you're going to trust that Jesus has done it. We always hear trust that Jesus has done it. Because if you're trying to do it yourself, you're going to come up short constantly because you're going to continue to sin. <laughs> you're going to continue to need to sacrifice. You're going to continue to need to do everything that Israel tried to do in the Old Testament, and it just cannot be done. It just cannot be done by humans themselves. We need a God to do this for us. So when it says there in verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. This whole letter has been about God's righteousness and the devil's sin and the ways of the world and the sinful nature that lives within us and of course the challenges of religion and everything that you know is not good but coming from god is good in that sense and so because jesus has overcome sin and death so have you and that's actionable because you're still walking you're still living your life every day you have responsibilities you have ministry spheres and spheres of influence You have work, you have home, you have family, you know, you have anywhere that people are is an opportunity for ministry. Think about that. Whether you go to the grocery store, whether you go to the gas station, whether you go anywhere, these are opportunities to minister to another person, to share that love of Christ, if you will. And you have overcome sin and death because Jesus has overcome sin and death. So that's the the present tense of why John is writing this letter, is broken up into those three. And then he kind of repeats himself in a weird way, but not repeating himself in the same way when he goes into the next three kind of admonitions, if you will. He says, children, uh, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Again, in its very simplest form, when you're first adopted, man, you're just new and excited and things are going all around like you knew you had a problem with sin but now you know god you know the father because of the son and that's exactly what john is saying again in this whole first chapter this is what he's again already said in a way and we're just reaffirming that in a summary for him that yeah Children, you do know the Father because you were adopted as sons and daughters through the Lord Jesus Christ to be part of his kingdom. So don't don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Be encouraged by it. You do know God the Father. You know Jesus the Son and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You have the triune God as part of who you are. And then, like, here's the thing. That is who we all are. That's the piece that's missing. That's the part of us that is able to go forward in confidence. Because when we try to do everything ourselves in the world, it it will naturally fall up short. All things lead to death. And certainly there's much disappointment. But you know what? God doesn't disappoint you. Here's the thing. If you're thinking and expecting God to do certain things for you, remember what he's done for you. Like, don't neglect what Jesus and God the Father has already done for you. A lot of times these expectations that we put on God are because of worldly expectations that we want because of the sin of the flesh, because we covet, because we want, we have desires, and then we're prideful beasts. It's big us, little God syndrome. And we see that constantly and all the time. And so... We see that for the children, that's that's the infancy and the birth, that our sins have been forgiven, we know this, we've been reconciled to God, and we now know God as children. And then as fathers, for the second section two, um, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He literally says the same thing, but here's the thing, one is in reference to God the Father, whereas this one is in reference to Jesus. We can continue, but at the same time, see that. Because John here is talking in the past tense. This is what he's already said. This is what he started the letter with, just a smack to the face. Like, this isn't a joke. (laughs) I just want everyone, I, I wish the world knew, this isn't a joke. Like, Jesus is real, and you need to do something with him. You're either going to ignore him or you're going to love him. But everyone on this planet, needs to wrestle with who Jesus of Nazareth is. Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he the promised son of God? Or is he just some guy? Is he just some nice guy? Either way, everyone has to deal with this. And John is like, fathers, you know Jesus. And especially because this was written in the 90s and certainly life expectancies and John knew him and whatnot, this very well could be, you knew Jesus. You walked with Jesus. You saw his miracles. You, you Again, you have heard, you have seen, you have looked, you have touched. He's real. What do we do with it? That's what we're doing here. <laughs> and so fathers in that past tense, as you grow in wisdom, you know Jesus because you were there. And, and you know what he's done now too. And then young men, this last part, because this is the, the big kind of the, the, the climax, if you will, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now he repeats the overcome the evil one and again just to remind you it's not by yourself it's because of what Jesus has done that sin and death is now officially in its place but strong and then the words abide in you and you see that going back to earlier parts of chapter two because this is Again, the past tense, this is what John has already mentioned in this. And so we can overcome, and what we overcome and what we're strong in is faith. Now, I would do a great disservice by moving forward in this letter of First John, but know that we're going to come to that, and there's more explanations on that. But the reason we have overcome is purely by faith faith in the accomplished works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our great advocate and who has, as the high priest, propitiated our sins, both past, present, and future. Through confession and agreeing with God, we are forgiven and we are made new and that we can live our lives guilt-free, a.k.a. sin-free, in love, for God and for other people. And that's an amazing thing. So walk confidently is really what John is saying here in all of this. Walk confidently as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Be encouraged, please, by the truth you know as what was presented to you as little children when you were adopted, what was presented to you in wisdom from God, and what was presented to you in actionable terms by the zeal for God, that love for God. Because the only reason we can be actionable for God is because we truly love God that much. Most aren't in some capacity because that love hasn't grown to that. So that wisdom, that zeal for the Lord, walk confidently. You know the truth. Now, if only we could remember that every day, right? Well, here's the problem why we don't remember that every day, because we're living here. (laughs) We're, We're in the world, but we're not of it. So be prepared for the temptations, as the second point is. Be prepared that every minute you're being tempted one way or another. Do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him starting very first with verse 15. John wanted to warn them about the dangers that always exist. Always exist. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are. It doesn't matter how much wisdom you've got. It doesn't matter how strong you are in the faith. You're going to be tempted. And we see this very present. You know, all these, you know, people who have been in the faith for a long time and even mega churches and those pastors and what, you know what, they've been falling harder than stones. (laughs) You know, we've been throwing heavy stones, as the psalm said. But many of these pastors have, have been falling because they've fallen into temptation. Because you're not, like, going to not deal with temptation. You need to be resolute against it today, tomorrow, next week, next year, until you're finally with Jesus in heaven. You're never going to get away from these temptations. And especially now that we are adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, you better believe that you got a target on your back. (laughs) Because you're God's. And what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to stumble in that relationship with your father. And you know what he does? Sometimes he succeeds in that. But he can never officially always succeed in that. Because... As Jesus has said, and especially the Gospel of John, my sheep hear my voice and they know my name, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So just brace yourself. It's like, like you gotta stand behind that shield of faith that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter six, wearing that helmet of salvation, knowing that you are saved and that you are God's, and that Jesus is indeed that way, that truth, and that life. And so John wanted to warn us of the dangers. I want to warn you of the dangers too. It only makes sense because they're dangerous and they're going to lead you astray. So the world in this, in, in the Gospel of John, you know, the most famous passage that is in the Bible period is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, you know, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And world in that sense deals with people. But world in this doesn't deal with people. (laughs) It's dealing with an ideology or materialism that is in opposition to God the Father. So world is different. Cosmos is what this is. And it's thought of here as an entity hostile to God, which is always a seductive influence that Christians need to learn how to continually resist, if you will. And so the world competes for the love of the Christian, and one cannot both love the world and love the Father at the same time. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, in in another gospel, in both Matthew and Luke. you, You cannot serve God and money, or mammon, which is materialism or worldly things. It's impossible, because they're at odds with one another. And so, love of the Father is not in this person because the world itself is a system of values and goals in which God is excluded. And you think about that. You think about that in a lot of different contexts. Uh, I always like to think our country was founded on you know, religious beliefs and on God, but look at how far we've come away from God. A- and our... our you know, our, our country, let alone our world, is constantly in opposition to him. It's a I do, I did kind of attitude. We make it all about self. Then we hear about self-righteousness and self-worth. And and again, the world says that the, the strong shall survive. Don't be weak, don't be humble, be prideful, be arrogant, conceited beasts. It's all about you. You need to get your share. Me, 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 me. That's what it's all about, and we can see that. There are tons of examples. If you watch TV, like you get assaulted, assaulted with examples. I'm going to cover that here in a minute as we go into this. But it's clear if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in them. If you're loving ideologies, if you're loving materialism and possessions, if you're loving. Um, so many other unique systems or, or governance that the world has to offer, or if you're loving a culture, in a sense, if you're... Again, the list goes on and on and on. It's not to bring up each individual point because we could spend days on it. Let's be real. There's so much going on in this world. We could spend maybe even years on it. <laughs> like There's just a lot. But he talks about it here. In three capacities, John does, and especially the love of the world. And he says in verse 16, for all that is in the world, and then here are the three things, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So let's talk about these real quick. First one, desires of the flesh. You need to know first and foremost that desires, and depending on the translation, it could say lust. It could also, what it really means in, in Greek is cravings the cravings of the world, the cravings of the flesh. And flesh being sarks, which means the body, okay? Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25, I feel, highlights this. And the reason why I wanted to tell you to go there is this is one of those sections of scripture that everyone should should know to some capacity. It's the fruit of the, well, it's not the fruit, it's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25, says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There you have it. In In a very brief kind of sense there's still so much more that of course we could talk about and go through and explain but the way i see it too is that this is we we all have an intrinsic desire that we want to feel good <laughs> we want to feel good about ourselves you know whether we measure ourselves up to standards or whatnot but but certainly you know o- over indulgence in food to make ourselves feel good over in drugs and alcohol We abuse to make ourselves feel good. We overindulge in sexual activities in order to make ourselves feel good. These are all the desires or the cravings of the flesh. We want to feel good about ourselves, but we're missing that peace that that really makes us feel good and that walks in confidence in Christ. So I hope for us, none of these desires of the flesh, albeit they're tempting, always, always, always something, but that we don't fall into those because we are made whole again in Christ. And the desire to feel good is able to happen through God's word, through fellowship with his people, and through fellowship with him. And that's what John said (laughs) in all of this, starting, you know, verse 5 of chapter 1. God is righteousness, and in him is no sin at all. And, And odds are we feel bad because we don't measure up to the standards of the world. And because we don't measure up to those standards of the world, we feel bad, and then we want to make ourselves feel better. And that's what we turn to to make ourselves feel better, is those sins of the flesh. Next, he talks about the desires of the eyes, or the cravings of the eyes. This, in its absolute purest form, is nothing more than covetousness. I like Ecclesiastes a lot because it showed me a lot of what I was coveting in trying to achieve for myself to both make myself feel good as well as to make myself someone within the world. Not already acknowledging that I am someone worthy of dignity and respect in this world, but I needed to get the power, I needed to get the fame, I needed to get the fortune, I needed to get these things because this Whatever this is, is going to make me whole, and it's going to make me complete. And so Ecclesiastes 4 says this, because this is the absolute errant danger of covetousness. And it's from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. And it says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other no son, no brother, no family. Yet there is no end to all his toils, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Amen. It it really is, because you will never have enough. Maybe you've heard this before, maybe I've said this before, but you take a toll of people and you think about covetousness. The people who make $25,000 a year, they're like, you know, if I just made $50,000 a year, I would be happy. I'd be content then. You ask the people who make $50,000 a year, they're like, you know, if I just made $100,000 a year, I could be content. I could be happy. You ask the people who make $100,000 a year, they're like, you know, if I just made a quarter of a million, then I would be content. I could finally be happy with where I'm at. It never ends. Your covetousness never ends. Do any of you watch TV? Come on. I know you do. You're all here. You're all awake. You're constantly assaulted by covetousness. Every bit of advertising that happens on there is covetousness. If you just had this new and improved product, your life would be complete. You could be happy for like a minute (laughs) until the new product comes out. Then you need that one. Then you'll be happy for maybe two minutes. (laughs) And it just keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. never stop coveting never it's 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 in god's 10 commandments just so you know too like it's one that we fall very very short on is covetousness and always wanting what you don't have always not just if you watch tv and get advertised you maybe some of you watch reality tv shows like i don't know why you would covet a reality tv show because they're so blown out of proportion. They're just like, who really lives life that way? But you know what? You will covet that lifestyle too. You will be like, oh, I wish I lived on the Jersey Shore. Oh, right? No, I know. <laughs> you're like, oh, I wish I lived you know, somewhere else. Oh, man, my life. Darn, I wish I just had man. And then you're down again. And then the odds are you might be looking to the desires of the flesh to fulfill the desires of the eyes. And and you can see how dangerous this is and how dangerous this becomes for each of us as Christians and as believers, this constant want. And then you have this very last one, which certainly could be the biggest one, if you will, but the pride of life. I'm not going to go over what it means or what it says in Greek, but you need to know it's the boastfulness that you have in your manner of living your lifestyle or your material possessions which kind of you know translates to what the desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes are it's kind of the big overarching, culminating point like i want to boast in these things i want people to know that i'm awesome and i have this stuff and that they're not near as cool as me like boastfulness like it's all about me That's that's what we've said all along. That's the problem with sin, is we make it all about ourselves, this pride of life, this boastfulness in the manner of living. Now, God says through his word, and and John, you know, being the mouthpiece here, he gives two reasons why these things are bad. (laughs) One is, I feel like I just told you, but here's what you need to know. This isn't from God. These things, like you think about money, this, like money was never meant to be worshipped. Like it is. Materialism is not meant to be worshipped like it is. You are not a better human being because you have a bigger house than the guy next to you. You're not a better human being because your car is newer than the guys across the street. That's not God. That's not godly ways. And that's exactly what he says in verse, was it 16 here, 17? Um, All of this is not from the Father. So it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And then, and then the second one, in addition to it not being from the Father, is that it all passes away. This is all temporary things. You think about trends in culture. You think about trends in society. I told you we were a nation founded on godly values, but look how far we've gone from godly values in this country. It's it's about self, And I would say it's much more about the materialism or the pride of life that John is talking about here it's boastfulness in who we are and what we've done but it's all going to pass away and you look at all the changes that we've gone through over the years and like the things that were desirable years ago everybody's like whatever <laughs> you know like what's the new greatest thing i need something new i need something exciting you know the bible hasn't changed in you know 2000 years I need a new Bible, one that's changed, one that's exciting. So people are paraphrasing it now and trying to pass it off as God's word, but it's not. It's very different. Very, very, very different. And you lose the meaning of who God is and his character. And again, all of these things pass away, but you know what doesn't pass away? Not just the word of God, but our God, because he's eternal and his character doesn't change. And who he is doesn't change in the slightest. And so this is all not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world wants you to worship it. (laughs) And you, intrinsically, because of your sin, want to worship it too. But that's not why we're here. That's not why we've been saved. Like, if you want what everyone else wants, let me put it really ugly for you. Everyone else is going to hell. Do you want that? So don't say in this section, but everyone else is doing it. Well, everyone else is jumping off the bridge. Everyone else is going to be eternally cut off from God. Do you want that? Do you want to be like everyone else now? No. No. And let's be real. As human beings created in the image of God, each of us is unique as we can be with a three billion digit code within us that makes us uniquely who we are. We are originals. And there's nothing you can do to change that. You don't need to be like anyone else because you're not anyone else. <laughs> and you never will be like everyone else because you are unique to you as an individual and a human being. So be confident in all these things. Watch out for the way that the world attacks you. Walk confidently, but be very, very, very careful because the second we leave this room, as, as I say most weeks, like we're gonna be assaulted. We're going to be attacked. Things are going to go not our way, but we walk with God. We have been saved. We have been brought from death, certain death to life and newness of life. And that is something that all of us can rejoice on and in and know that truth. So I love Jesus. (laughs) I want you to know that. Walk confidently. Again, knowing all of these truths. Have you seen all these truths again? Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know him. You have overcome the evil one. Jesus himself has enacted that relationship and started that relationship of reconciliation with God the Father because Jesus took that penalty that we deserve as human beings because we do covet we do have desires in the flesh. We do boast of ourselves. We do all of these things, and that Jesus is our great advocate too. He's he's he, he's representing us. Like you cannot get any better than that. Like man, like go to the law room with Jesus. Like that's just an amazing thing. And then, of course, he is that great and final sacrifice, so that you. Don't have to sacrifice. But what you're going to sacrifice as a human being, you're going to give up the things of the world. It's going to continue to die to you as we continue to grow in the faith of who God is. So see this transformative process. Be encouraged by all these truths. I know I just befuddled them all, but man, there's so many. I just get excited. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then, like, be careful. Just be careful. Walk confidently and carefully. So, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I just thank you for what you've done in each of our lives. And Lord, I just ask your your mercy, not just from the cross, but your mercy in this world and, and to be saved from the temptations and from the wrath. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so, Lord, you have done that already. I just ask that you continue to bless us as we continue to move forward and grant us the wisdom and the insight to be able to see what is worldly versus what is godly. The world constantly wants us wants to lead us away from you, Lord, but Lord, you draw us near. And so, Lord, continue to swoon us, continue to draw us near in all situations and circumstances. Let us seek your guidance, your wisdom, and your strength to endure on a day-to-day basis, as well as whatever might happen and come to be a challenge for us. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We know you. We believe you. We have the faith to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, hold us well and continue to walk with us well. We thank you for this opportunity to know you, to love you, and to serve you. And we will forever be yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.